Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Thanks for joining us for another edition of the Tribe Supper. Today we've got uh, myself, Philip Talentay and Anthony Vickers to talk about, well, the forthcoming game against Sheffield Wednesday, Vic, and particularly the return of Gary Monk. Obviously, it's not the first time he's been back. He came here with Birmingham last season and ended up on the, uh, on the losing side. And it seems a strange chapter in Middlesbrough's history, doesn't it? The, the whole the Monk era, it was relatively short, at what, barely six months. Um, he never made any sort of cultural impact, I think it's fair to say. We didn't really know what kind of person he was when he arrived, and we certainly didn't really when he left, because it didn't really make any attempt to stamp himself on the on the Teesside area and the Teesside public. And, and say whatever you want about Tony Pulis, when he was here for 18 months, you knew exactly what he thought about something. Um, he was much better at using the press and um, you know, and that probably smacked of the fact that he was so experienced. You know, how do you reflect on Gary Monk's time now? Yeah, yeah it's a strange one. I mean, obviously Gary Monk uh, probably won't be relishing it, the, the match. His previous meetings with Borough have involved uh, a lot of quite derogatory chanting, uh, a lot of hissing, yeah. and no doubt if you could buy inflatable snakes on, on Amazon, there would have been a few of those about. Uh, it's strange, really, that the levels of, of animosity that uh, directed at him, for mm. as you say, it was a relatively short short time. And it wasn't that it was, unsuccessful, it, it was it, really? It wasn't a, a failure. He left the club sort of within striking distance of uh, the playoff places, and his legacy probably is three or four decent players in the squad now. Uh, I, I think a lot of the animosity, the, the hissing, uh, is almost... Uh, uh, it's been repossessed from Leeds because mm. when we went to Leeds uh, to Ellen Road uh, with Gary Monk he was getting similar kind of stick there from the Leeds fans he, he probably feels a bit like the Queen who goes around the world thinking everything smells of fresh paint <laughs> he probably thinks that every other match day it involves <laughs> lots of uh, high, highly charged animosity aimed at him uh, yeah it was a strange period it, it was marked I think by a lack of identity in the team uh, there was no clear vision of tactics. It used to switch from week to week, match to match. Uh, no identity on, on the pitch, and as you alluded to there, no re- real identity off it. Uh, he kind of spoke to us in uh, uh, fortune cookie sound bites, very much out of the coaching manual. There didn't appear to be very much uh, uh, of a human element there. Yet, ironically, we talked to the lads at Birmingham who loved him. Mm. He made a real impact with the fans there. Uh, there was a sense of engagement. Uh, whether that's a case of peculiarities of Teesside against Birmingham, I don't know. Whether he, whether he learned something from his time on Teesside and, and the way he handled his, his press and PR, possibly there's something about that. Yeah, it was a little bit unlucky with his timing, wasn't he, from a, from a press point of view. It was at a time when, obviously, as we well know now, it's not it's well documented, two of our reporters weren't able to watch matches at the Riverside. Therefore, we didn't attend press gatherings. Um, so, Although we saw him in the, on the yeah, we Yeah, we saw him, you know, we saw him in the same environment. I think, I think the point I would make was, even if we had been 
speaking to him on a weekly basis before and after matches. I don't think it had made a great deal of difference. I don't think he wanted particularly to engage. You know, I know the press get accused of wanting the cake and eating it um, when it comes to dealing with the press, don't we? You know, we, we want to, you know, want the right to speak to the the, the, the managers and the coaches and the players um, on our terms. Um, and why wouldn't we? Because it, you know, it helps fill our column inches. But I think. It's not a cliche to say that it is a conduit to the fans. And, you know, Tony Pulis, for example, go back to him again, was very, very good at getting his message across yeah. via the press. Bruce Rioch was very good at it. Mogger was quite good at it. Steve McLaren could be good at it occasionally and certainly was very um, aware of what the press could offer. Although, in my view, he was too clever by half and, and that's a result it came across. Um, but getting back to Gary Monk... Uh, you know, you really think the only kind of victory made in terms of, you know, looking and sounding, you know, human or one of us or, you know, an everyday guy was the famous uh, monk bot tweet, wasn't it? I don't know if you remember it, when he was accused of being a monk bot and he actually did a humorous tweet. Yeah. Well, um, well you know, certainly well, him or his people did it, certainly. Begone, but yeah. Yeah, but... Um, so, I mean, let's, let's go back to the start of his time. You know, there was, an, there was an assumption he was the best candidate for the job. Do we think he was? I mean, did, did Borough look hard enough? I know we, we're definitely looking at this with the benefit of hindsight now. You know, it's easy to be wise after the event. But, you know, you look at May 2017, Borough were a club that was pocket, just about to pocket a decent parachute payment. The chairman was prepared to spend money. Um, it didn't feel as though there was a huge field to choose from unless Borough wanted to look abroad again, and, and it was quite clear that they didn't, did they? No, I mean, there were a few candidates. Obviously, they spoke to Nigel Pearson, for instance. You know, we know that. That's no secret. Uh, I think it was a question mark over whether you wanted an established older hand that came with a, uh, a set tactical template or whether you wanted a bright, young English coach with a, an attacking outlook, which is... Which is what the brochure said when when Gary Monk arrived. Uh, he had done a good job at Leeds in very very difficult circumstances. Off the pitch, the club was a basket case. Uh, on the pitch, uh, this was Chilino, wasn't it? Yeah, I think they're on the pitch. They had a lot of remnants of the previous fourteen managers in the previous two years. Uh, it wasn't a good good environment to be working in, but he'd done quite well. And at Swansea. Having taken over sort of initially as a player manager and stepped up, he, he had one average season, one very good season, and one sticky season. So I, I think he'd probably shown enough uh, to say to suggest there was promise there. And I don't think there were too many uh, howls of dissent when he did did come in because I think he ticked a lot of the boxes. He was the right sort of manager, mm. a bright, young, uh, ambitious manager that had a point to prove. Was the chairman uh, was the chairman wrong to completely um, reject the prospect of going uh, going foreign again? And obviously, this is on the back of Aitor and 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 and, a, and, a, and a, if you want to call it an experiment, a successful couple of years only really marred by a, a frustratingly um, well a frustrating final six yeah. months, I suppose. But you know, was was that enough to to make him you know reject? You know, lots of other clubs have gone out and got managers from abroad who've done a yeah. perfectly serviceable I, I, job. I think the problem is getting a top quality manager from abroad to come to the championship and do the job. Uh, you know, land on the feet running might have meant them bringing their own backroom staff. And I think there's a case of the club had been burned not so much by Itor, but 
uh, how in the latter stages he built a state within a state which mm. was entirely Spanish speaking and that that caused a lot of divisions in the in the club within the club and and it took a while to repair the damage there so I, I think it was more that they'd been burnt on that one uh, I think the important thing was to get someone that that kind of had a vision and I think they thought that Gary Monk had that and he may well have done but it didn't feel to me as though he really sold it, it, I, I tried to think back now to that film. I mean, me and you went down didn't we to the press conference when he was unveiled and I mean he spoke okay he said the right things um, I thought it was telling that um, and I, I, this has happened with a couple of managers I thought it was telling with hindsight that Steve Gibson wasn't there at the time um, that may have been just purely circumstantial that the chairman was, was away but nonetheless it doesn't feel it didn't, you know, I really enjoyed the fact that Woodgate's press conference for example you know, you know, they had the whole Politburo in the back row didn't they and that felt right one team together we're all in this as one um, you know it, it started feeling like you know, there was excitement around the signings, wasn't there, first of all? You know, we, we, you know, you know there, was, there was question marks over some of the money spent, and particularly on Ashley Fletcher, which we you know, won't revisit that just at the moment. But for me, the first alarm signals were when he changed tactic, ra- tactics radically with one, you know, one match to go before the start of the season. I think he'd been, had he been playing 4-2-3-1 right through... I forget, I forget which formation it was now. I should have looked this up before we started. But he changed to that... Flexible back kind of three four, didn't he? Um, for the for the final preseason friendly, and then he did the same thing at Wolves and Borough. Suddenly, you, you kind of felt all of a sudden, you know, that's a strange move from a manager who's played one way right through preseason, made a big change in the final preseason friendly, and then stuck with that system that you know hadn't really had time to be bedded in for a difficult away match at Wolves. I, that that was a little bit of an early warning. Yeah, maybe. I, I think. The key to going into that season was there was an incredible amount of optimism. Uh, yeah, it's forgotten now, isn't it? Steve Gibson had, had said, you know, he wanted the intention was to go out and smash the league, uh, and Borough spent a lot of money. I mean, fifty million quid is a lot of money, and un- under I tour the problem had always been a lack of goals, a, a lack of attacking in- intent, uh, and to go out and spend it was over thirty million quid was spent on on strikers mm-hmm. on the front line. And there was a lot of optimism. Borough were pre-season title favourites, quite, quite clearly. And there was a lot of expectation. So when you spend money, uh, that increases expectation. Uh, when the, I mean, there was no, we'll give it a shot, we'll hope to be in and around, we'll be up there and challenge. The, the intention mm. was, was to go out mm. and win promotion. So that piles pressure on. And maybe it's a question of, can you manage those expectations as well as deliver on the pitch? And it never felt as if there was a, a coherent political strategy, cultural strategy. There was no buy-in from mm. the fans in, into what Gary Monk was doing. And that formation flux in the first couple of weeks, I think, left people a little bit confused. Mm. And the fact that, that Gary Monk didn't really have a relationship with the press, not just us, the Tees, the Echo, the Nationals... Or want one, that's the more important There was never any explanation of what they were doing or where they were going. So when results got a bit sticky, people didn't really have enough pieces of information to work out where they were. Mm. So even if Gary Monk knew what he was doing, it didn't feel like it. There was a sense of confusion and drift 
right the way from the off. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think, you know, markedly different from Jonathan Woodgate, who said, said from the outset how he wanted to play and what he wanted to achieve. And, and if he's made a change, which he did for Cardiff, for example, uh, to the system, he explained why. And, you know, I think it, it sounds really blatantly obvious, but... Managers who explain what they're doing, you know, we're not expecting them to give away every tactical secret, but treat the fans, you know, for what they are, which is knowledgeable people who pay money to watch football. Um, I, I think I wrote a piece around around the October time about the curious disconnect between um, between um, Monk and the supporters. I think that might have been after the Cardiff game. When you just felt like it was very early for people to be turning, but yeah. they were turning, and I think they were turning because they had nothing to hang on, as you say. You know, nothing. There was no, there was no suggestion that well, give us another four weeks because we're waiting for player X, Y, and Z to come yeah. come good or to be fit. You know, I think I don't think he was helped by. And our, you know, we'll never know exactly who who signed who that summer, but I don't think the recruitment helped him. Now, whether that was self-inflicted or not, we're not sure, but. You know, the, the fact that it had so many forward players all vying for different positions, none of whom seemed ideally suited to the positions Monk wanted them to play. And that, that for me, was a, you know, it was a big problem. You, know, you had Ashley Fletcher, where was he going to fit in? Martin Braithwaite, you know, where was he going to fit in? Obviously, Britt would play up front, but then you still had Rudy Gestead and you still had um, Patrick Bamford, didn't you? So you had all these players. You know, and, and, and still, a problem that sort of still lingers... The, the, the out and out wide players that were clearly missing, you know, with, with the loss of someone like Ramirez, for example, um, that, that was a problem that still wasn't resolved despite all those outlays. So, I mean, even so, you know, going back to it, it wasn't a complete unmitigated disaster. You and I were both at Millwall again. We seemed to be there when it was the worst moments. But um, that felt like that might be the end of the road, didn't it? That Millwall game. Um, and I suspect it possibly was, even though he didn't go after that game. Was it was it two one, but could have been five one, wasn't it? Yeah, there was a few. That was in December. Displays. But I mean, just to sort of come back to the disconnect, I think you've got to remember also. I think there was a hangover from from relegation. Yeah. And the the, pre- the whole of the Premier League season had been an absolute nightmare. It was very very poor fare, uh, and it felt like things were falling to bits. Mm. And after relegation. Sometimes you need a manager to, to pick it up mm. and immediately get people mm. enthused and, and back on the, the new thumper, project. Almost. And that just didn't happen. So it, a lot of unresolved issues from relegation mm. were left to fester, I think. And uh, that, that, was like, that bubbled through those first two or three months. And even when the team was doing well, it was always there in the background. And as soon as there was a sticky result... It all kept pouring out again because it had never really been yeah. resolved. There hadn't been any closure on it. There's an argument to say that it still hasn't, to be honest. But no. That's, that's a digression. But at the end of the day, I, I think they were, play, they were playing average football, but people had been led to believe that this was going to be mm. a promotion season. And that gap between the two, the expectations and the delivery, that's where the problem it, it, it's good. It's a good point that you make about unresolved issues off the pitch. We forget that for a while we didn't know whether Steve Agnew was going to be the the, the next manager, or, well, or, or sorry, should I, should I be more accurate and say retain his position as the manager because that's clearly what he was, um, our head coach. Um, and then you also had the lingering issue around Ramirez. He didn't go until I think it was late July, early August. But he actually he certainly played in at least one pre-season friendly. You had the issue around Stuart Downing, who was off pl- training with the under-23s briefly because the club wanted him to go to Birmingham. 
Um, you know, so you had issues around that. You had you know people like Patrick Bamford, as we said, still on the books. Rudy Gestead still on the books. Martin Darun was still on the books. So um, it wasn't you know an ideal situation, but that that is probably the case for most managers going into most clubs, isn't it these days in modern football? I mean, when you look towards the end of that campaign, and we'll we'll look look ahead to to, to the, the next game in a second. When I mean, look towards the end of that campaign, you know, it it, it went in in similar circumstances to. Um, uh, Gareth Southgate in that he got an important win yeah. uh, that seemed to have lifted the pressure yeah. but it was clearly the, the manager sorry the chairman had clearly made his mind before that Sheffield Wednesday game hadn't he I think, I think it's fair no, to say it, it was results it was the fact that they were drifting out of the promotion spots and didn't really there was no obvious sign of, a, of an engine there that mm. was going to drive them forward and like you mentioned it wasn't a question of wait till X gets back from injury that, that was it yeah. but he was turning out his best team uh, and it just didn't seem to gel and it didn't look like from one week to the next there was incremental improvement so it, you felt almost resigned to a season of, of drip I mean it reminded me in a lot of ways with the, the Strachan season the mm. way that it never it never really found any momentum and just fizzled along just outside where it needed to be with no sign of anything mm. changing. No. I've been looking ahead to Saturday's game now. You, you kind of think, um, you know, it's a home game, it's against a team that, that you know, to, to, to paraphrase every manager that ever speaks in a press conference, it could be a, t- a tough game. But is it a Yorkshire derby? Is it, is it Yorkshire derby? <laughs> Don't start that one. <laughs> Let's not go into that one. Is it a game, you know, is, are, we, are we at the must win stage again? No. I don't so uh, I think what would be interesting is a big test because Sheffield when they have had some good results started well uh, I think the interesting dynamic will come from that this could be the first time this season that there's like a real crowd there'll be an away following mm, it's good isn't it uh, they, they usually bring a good, good 2,000 I think they've sold over 2,000 haven't they uh, so there could be potentially a really good crackling atmosphere we haven't really seen that yet this no. season so that'll be nice to see how, how the, the, the team respond to that and how the fans respond to that as well. I mean, it's a bit, bit different from when you get 62 turn up from Wigan. Uh, so I think that'll be, a, be an interesting test, a slightly different dimension to it. Uh, the Gary Monk thing, well, will it have a bearing on the players? Probably not. There's yeah. one or two that will, uh, will have been managed under. They, players don't usually have much animosity to, to previous managers. Uh, the fans certainly will. It'll give them something to hiss about. Mm. Uh, I think it's important to bounce back from what was a drab display uh, at Cardiff. It wasn't, you know, they, they weren't gubbed. You know, at the end of the day, they lost out to an unfortunate early own goal. Uh, after that, Cardiff didn't, they had, they had moments, but they didn't really threaten to, to punch Borough. On the other hand, Borough never, never really got going either. There were some half moments. Uh, I think Jonathan Woodgate will be disappointed that his side didn't test their keeper, didn't play on the front foot as he asks them to, didn't sustain their moments of pressure. Although at the back, I think they looked stronger with a three. So some some positives there, definitely. But uh, this season is going to be... the, The shape of this season, the dynamic of this season is going to be shaped by what Borough do at home. Last year was awful at home, there's no question about that. Very few goals, not a lot of excitement, not a lot of uh, 
prospect of excitement to entice fans in. Uh, at times, it was a it, it was quite a chore going to the Riverside. So I think it's important that uh, for all the after all the talk of exciting football and creating chances, that the team do actually deliver. And to be fair, Borough have created a lot of chances in, in these games. They haven't converted as many as they should, but they have had good spells in almost all the home games where they've that they've created moments. Uh, but that's got to be more potent and it's got to produce more results. Yeah, we touched on that, didn't we, when we were talking in the week. Five goals from seven, isn't it, now in the league, which isn't the kind of return that's going to get any team anywhere fast, is it? No, I mean, and practically every game has been decided by one moment. Uh, away at Blackburn, it was a penalty. Uh, you know, it's... If Borough are going to do anything this season, I mean, I don't expect them to, to be up there and chasing for, for promotion, but you'd expect them to be, certainly in the top half, certainly to be aspiring to be within the playoff mix. And if they're going to do that, they, you know, they have to start finding a way of putting pressure on teams and sustaining it. And we know they can do it. They've done it in flashes, you know, 45 minutes here, 30 minutes there. Uh, a lot of that's to do with uh, grabbing control early on and he wants his play, players to go from the off and not letting the other side get the initiative and sometimes when the other side has got the initiative there's been a little bit of uh, a lack of leadership maybe a lack of steel about how you manage to claw back into the game how you stop the other team doing what they want to do and impose yourself and I think one of the reasons there is midfield balance isn't quite right you know to to get a grip of the game and to dictate it Great stuff. Well, we're going down to home bargains now to get our plastic fake snakes <laughs> ahead of the match. Um, uh, thanks very much for joining us. We'll be uh, obviously back again very soon with another Tripe Suffer. In the meantime, enjoy Saturday's game and uh, we wish you all the best. Take care.